Is my mouth good? So I started a podcast. This is MK Lords, and you are listening to Iconosass. And let me tell you something. I am fired up. I am mad as hell, and I'm not going to take it anymore. The last few months, if you've been paying attention to reality, some of you may have noticed this trending of the hashtag MeToo And what it's about, if you don't already know, is bringing light to the systemic problem of sexual intimidation and abuse. Now, sexual intimidation and abuse can happen to people of any gender, but the main source of it is power. And right now, we live under a system where power is diverted to one group in particular, and it does happen to predominantly be cisgendered white men. Hiss! (laughs) I know, like, I'm gonna... (laughs) That was meant to be kind of funny. You may have heard, you may have heard Stephanie laughing in the background. Dr. Stephanie Murphy is joining me again for this episode of Iconosass. And it might get a little bit weird and it might get a little bit serious because this is a topic that I think affects everyone on some level, but especially if you have been socialized as a woman in this society. So we both have been socialized as women from a very early age. I don't necessarily identify as that, and I'm working through a lot of gender stuff at this point. Currently, I identify as some form of non-binary or genderqueer. Basically, not man is where I'm at, but not exactly woman either, but definitely not man. And there's another person who, uh, a vlogger, I guess you could say, who creates awesome content named ContraPoints, who makes a very good point about being a political woman. And I think that really aligns with 
the things that I talk about because the personal is always the political. Whether or not you want to admit that, this is just objective fact. This is not debatable. Whatever your personal hangups with in life eventually become the things that you politically advocate for, whether or not you were super politically active. Yeah, just to explain a little bit more uh, detail about the political woman thing, it basically means that we can use different definitions of gender in different contexts. And one of the contexts in which it might be useful to identify as a woman is a political context, because, you know, if you're trying to fight against oppressive reproductive things that are that affect cisgender women, women, or if you're trying to just fight patriarchy in some way, then you might want to claim the label woman for political stuff, basically, even if you don't necessarily identify as a woman. So yeah, you you basically said you're, you're kind of at non man. Yeah, I think that would be a good way to describe it. And but political woman, political woman, and you raised a really good point there too, and that added some kind of clarification. And I'm not going to go ahead and define some of these terms because I don't like to treat my listeners as if they are ignorant about these topics. It is possible that people are going to come across this podcast and not know what certain terms mean. But for the most part, I think my audience is pretty educated about these topics. And again, Google is a thing. And I encourage everyone to kind of do their own research. And a lot of this stuff has been on my mind. It's been on my mind my whole life. This is not something I've ever been allowed to live without thinking about. And this is a huge consideration when it comes to the whole Me Too thing. It's kind of reached a critical mass with a lot more awareness about what's going on. But when it comes to being a person in society who's lived under certain patriarchal norms and has had to navigate life being treated as if they are a woman in certain ways, you realize very early on that the world is a little bit different for you and that you are treated with a lot less respect by certain people in power. And especially if you are gender nonconforming or you have a different type of sexuality expression, these are things that you pick up on very early on that there is a certain default standard for what people think existence should be. And that perspective is very limited. The default perspective is one of heteronormative values and cisgendered expressions more on the masculine side, basically men. And, you know, if your feelings are hurt by this, that's terrible. You know, I, I do kind of feel bad for you, but welcome to what reality has been like for the rest of us, for all of history. So... <laughs> I don't really feel the need to apologize much, and I'm not going to, because people like us have caught so much shit merely for existing, and you catch even more shit if you push back against some of these cultural norms. And so this has been on my mind a lot. I've done a lot of writing about it. I've been outspoken about these topics for a while now. And we're going to launch into a bit of a discussion about it in just a second here. But I want to read a piece that I wrote that kind of goes through the mental calculations that you have to do 
merely existing in a patriarchal society as someone who does not fit the default gender and sexuality expression. I don't want to coddle your listeners, but can we just clarify something? Like when you say the default is to be a man, do you mean like everything basically favors men? What I mean is it's usually told from their perspective. Mm. So if you read literature, if you like movies, if you like other forms of art, and art is a little more flexible, like visual art and things like that. But specifically, if we're talking about entertainment, especially in the form of literature and movies, it generally favors a male perspective on things. Okay. Or in a heteronormative perspective, too. I mean, every romantic comedy is like this. Every superhero movie is like this. Every action movie, every drama. You have a huge amount of violence against women in a lot of these movies. It's just, it's completely accepted. You ha- usually have a heteronormative love uh, plot of some kind in just about any movie, whether mm-hmm. it's comedy, action, thriller, Lots Horror. of lots of heteronormative male fantasy, even stuff like the camera angles. The camera angles. From a male's gaze or perspective. The costuming, mm-hmm. the makeup, all of these things. And it does sound somewhat conspiratorial, but it's not untrue, especially when you start dismantling some of this and deconstructing it and just being aware of it. Oh especially gosh, if you're I've- a queer person, a lot of these things don't really speak to you. Yeah, you start to feel like there's something wrong with you. And I, when you said conspiratorial, like that really resonated with me. I, I often feel like I'm like trapped in some kind of conspiracy, you know, and I think you, I think that's a very common feeling. Like once you start to become aware of some of these things, you, you really can feel like the world is conspiring against you to some degree. And it turns out it, it is actually <laughs> is. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for indulging me in that clarification. I'm glad we I'm glad we went a little bit more into that. And yes. I, I don't want to stop you from reading your awesome poem, which I really like this poem. I, I said to you before the show, I think it's my favorite poem of yours, but I don't know. You've got a lot of good poems and a lot of good writing, but oh, I really like thank this you. poem. Thank you. So this is a concept I've been banding about in my mind for probably years, I would say at this point, and I've been reflecting on it a lot lately. And it's all of the calculations you have to make as a person who doesn't fit in this dominant viewpoint in society and all of these things that you have to do to just survive. All of the calculations, like very fast calculations that you have to make so that you don't get injured or killed or anything else. And there it's like split second decisions. And so I think the poem speaks for itself. I'm not going to elaborate too much. So I'm just going to kind of launch into it. But that's basically the kind of premise of this. And it's taken a long time to kind of dismantle a lot of this, I guess, and really reflect on it. So here it is. It's a poem called Harass Math. And it took me I wrote it over the course of a couple days. And again, like I said, it's been something I've been ruminating on for a very long time. Here it goes. He goes in for a mouth kiss. I offer my ear. Seven seconds of interaction, two seconds to decide to turn the other cheek. 
My hand that was made to shake became a lever to pull to close the space between our bodies one second to let it happen because a fuss would add too many minutes and I'm busy. It's picture time. He lifts me up like a trophy, like a rag doll. I am on his shoulder like a child. His hand is on my hip, tightly. I don't know his name. The camera snaps. Two seconds. It's a group photo. Hold on longer. Ten whole seconds pass. I went from ground to air in one second. For ten seconds, I calculate the cost of getting back on solid ground. Three seconds of shock, four seconds of anger, three seconds of knowing I'll do nothing. Because if he can lift me, he can throw me. And if I cause a scene, that's a whole night gone. And I'm busy. Can I buy you a drink? It's not free, because he goes on to berate me on how easy I have it, getting free drinks all the time. He whines for five minutes. He can afford my hourly rate, but harassment is cheaper. For five minutes, I imagine pouring my free drink over his head. I calculate the cost of making a scene. Lost business, hundreds of dollars, plus reputation loss, thousands of dollars, plus hours spent explaining that my body is mine on company time, equals silence. Opportunity cost of rebuttal too high, and I'm busy. Ass slapped at the bar, 0.5 seconds of violence. It's math time, again. I don't have insurance to cover hospital bills if I chase him down to slap back. I have to decide if anything is worth it because even a look can end in violence and I'm no gambler. My friends came here for a good time. I'd hate to be a burden. Arguing could take hours, recovery, days, weeks, months, years. If he's bold enough to punch me because he was bold enough to slap me and I'm busy. Lunchtime, time to network, talk business, time to make money, finally. Oh wait, no, this was a date, silly. Didn't you know? It takes seven minutes to realize this was never meant to just be professional. Lunch takes an hour. Within each minute, I'm calculating. Every other minute, I could be spending on literally anything else. Dodging advances, but not resisting too much, because scenes are costly, and overturned tables, broken glasses, and stained shirts are expensive, and not being a team player means getting kicked out of the game, and I'm busy. But not too busy to have my time wasted by someone who has ample time to waste. I don't have seconds to spend pushing back when it will add years of bullshit to my life. I'm too busy calculating the best response for the least reaction. I'm too busy ensuring my continued existence of staying busy calculating the perfect formula for my freedom. And I'm tired of living my life, adding up time to save time. And I wonder what I would do with all that free time. I wonder what we all would do with more time and more mental space to think about things other than the perfect defense. I was never good with numbers, but I have a master's in harass math. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I'm doing the hippie coffee shop thing. Hippie coffee shop. Snap, snap, snap. Oh, thank you. Sounds a little weird when it's only me doing it, but <laughs> I wanted to like <laughs> applaud you somehow. Oh, thank you. 
So, I mean, yeah, it's it's all of these things. I, I wonder, and I wrote another piece about this too called The Art We Lost. Uh, you can view this on Medium or Patreon and it basically is thinking about all of the things we've missed out on because people who were harassed or abused basically gave up on something that they loved because it was too difficult for them to deal with the trauma because there are some things that are too traumatic that can stop you from doing the things that you love. And it's too difficult to try to heal from that or continue on in the same kind of field that you were working on before. And yeah, I mean, what do you, and all of the things that I, I mentioned in that poem were things that actually happened to me. These were real life events. I have literally been picked up by strangers. And when I say picked up, I don't mean in any kind of like <laughs> hookup hey, kind of way. I mean, literally lifted from the ground and placed on someone's shoulder. That actually happened to me in New Orleans one time by a complete stranger that I didn't even know. He picked me up, he put me on his shoulder, and he's holding onto my hip and groping me, and I can't do anything in that situation. And I have to think of all the consequences of reacting to that because I'm completely disgusted by the whole situation that's happening. But this guy is like three times my size, so what am I supposed to do in that situation? I don't even know his name. There's no good answer. He's surrounded by his friends who are also a bunch of men. What am I supposed to? There is no good answer. And so I just have to take it, basically, because I'm not willing to deal with the consequences of saying something or doing something or whatever. And these are all of the weird, some people will call them like gray area zones of harassment that people are having to calculate daily in their interactions with people who are pow- more powerful than them, usually men. Yeah. I mean, the reason I love this poem was because it was so relatable. I think any non-man who's been in these, has been in situations like this. And I don't think that everybody has taken the time to think about, you know, what would I do with all this extra free time if I didn't have to be constantly calculating how to save myself and how to get out of these situations with the least fuss and the least harm to myself and not cause a scene and not cost myself more money. I mean, it really highlights the personal cost of continuously having to deal with people putting you in these situations where they're robbing your time, your autonomy from you. They're doing stuff to you that you don't like, that you don't want done to you. They're putting you in these uncomfortable situations. And you feel really, you feel really angry because it's like you don't have a choice. People are just going to treat you that way. And there's almost like nothing you can do about it. And a lot of times the most efficient thing or the best, the quote, best response, which there's really no good solution, like we said before, when you were lifted up in that picture, like the quote unquote best thing to do is just kind of go along with it and then try to gracefully extricate yourself from the situation without raising any kind of conflict or without calling the person out and without saying that you didn't like that. And it, it always comes at great personal cost to you. If nothing more than just the time spent making those little calculations, which we become really good at because we have to, because we're constantly exposed to them. 
Right. And it's something the Me Too thing has highlighted so many instances of harassment and abuse in a lot of industries where there is a lot of affluence, for example. Um, And I saw a tweet. I think it was a tweet or some kind of post uh, somewhere on social media recently that was saying, you know, if all of these instances have happened in these industries where there's a lot of affluence and women have taken so much longer to come out and talk about this kind of abuse that they face, how much more is happening in other industries where there isn't that kind of affluence Mm -hmm. and the power differentials are even different. And that's very true. That resonated a lot with me because I am not involved in the entertainment industry. Right. uh, In the Hollywood industry you know, entertainment industry or anything like that. And I've experienced that in other industries that I've worked in, specifically the service industry. I had a an incident when I was 18. I was a server in a restaurant and I was it was one of the worst jobs I've had. And I was constantly hit on by the staff that worked there, which was mostly men. But I was also hit on a lot by customers, including this one guy who cornered me in, into a server station one time. This is a man who was probably in his 30s. He was some um, he, he had been like a patron of the restaurant for a while. He'd come, you know, in there a lot and stuff like that. And he was really drunk and he corners me one time and he's really close to my face. I mean, close. Like, I feel like he's going to try to kiss me or something. He just cornered me and I couldn't get out of the situation. Ugh. And like, I could smell the alcohol on his breath. Like, I remember vividly everything about the situation. And he's just telling me, he's like, oh, you're so beautiful. How old are you? I was 18 at the Ugh. time. I had just turned 18. And and he's like, oh, do you have a boyfriend? And I'm like, yes, I do. And he's like, I hope he tells you that you're beautiful every day. But he's like so close to me and it's so uncomfortable. And Now, MK, what's wrong with that? He's just telling you you're beautiful. Aren't you grateful for that? Except that I had, I not only had zero power in that situation, I had negative power. Because this was someone who was on good terms with the owners of the restaurant who also harassed me, too. And he, (sighs) (laughs) like, they weren't going to kick him out for being a creep. They were just going to be like, suck it up and deal with it. This is the world you're living in. Or worse, you might lose your job. I could lose my job, which was my only source of income. He's a lot older than me. He's friends with the people who are managing the restaurant. He was a pretty frequent patron. And there were no kind of standards and stuff. And I mean, you know, the restaurant owners were not particularly respectful of any of the employees at that restaurant, to be fair. I mean, it was a very... There were a lot of other situations going on that were that were very messed up and bad. And so sexual harassment was like the least of it, really. And being in that yeah, situation... They didn't have to deal with it, so of course it wasn't their concern. Didn't affect them. Yeah, and this was a job where I was making $2.50 an hour plus tips. Wow. I wasn't even making... This was uh, over 10 years ago... And, I mean, I wasn't... Even the server wages at that time were a little bit higher than what I was being paid, Mm. like, standardized for that area. Um, They were a little bit higher, but I was making $2.50 an hour, plus tips. I was walking out of there 
on like a good night, I'd maybe make $50 or something. It was not a very popular restaurant. Mm. I was doing whatever I could to survive. I was working as hard as I could. I would try to work every single day. Um, it was extremely stressful and I was living in poverty and I was not able to, I was barely able to make ends meet in this situation. And I have to do this calculation of, I wanted to tell the guy the, to fuck off. I wanted to be like, who the fuck are you? Yeah. Back away from me. Give me some personal space. But I couldn't say anything because I was so terrified of the fallout of what could happen. I was completely disempowered by that situation. And, I mean, you know, he didn't touch me. He didn't, like, do anything. But he was so close. I mean, he was within, like, a couple inches of me. He was almost touching me. And I felt like, I, you know, that that could was a very real thing. And I've been touched before. I mean, I've been groped before by people. I've experienced violence. No amount of difference in my presentation has spared me from any kind of physical violence from people either. So, I, I mean, I have this, I, I, you know, I've been physically hit and attacked by men several times in my life. I've been headbutted, I've been punched in the face, I've been elbowed, I've been pushed down, I've had my property destroyed. All of these things happened before the age of like 25. So I've been, I've encountered a lot of violence and then varying degrees of harassment and it didn't matter if I looked more masculine, it didn't matter if I looked more feminine, like none of that mattered because I was in a position of less power than the person who was committing the violence. Yeah, I'm so sorry that's happened to you. And I think like anyone who's listening can relate. I mean, so hard. They're probably thinking right now of all the times similar stuff has happened to them. And it, I mean, just stop for a minute and think about the fact that we all have so many of these stories, so many that we probably don't even, we probably haven't even had the time to just process all of them and maybe even understand what some of them really were. It makes me think of a, an example. So I know two women who used to go to a hairdresser that would, that would cut their hair and he would get a boner while he was cutting their hair and he would walk around to the side of them so that it was sticking right in their face. He wouldn't touch them with it, but he also like wouldn't acknowledge it at all. It would just be right there, very obvious, staring them in the face while they're in the middle of getting a haircut. So they can't exactly just get up. What like what are they going to do? Get up and walk away with their hair half finished being cut? Are they going to say something about it? He's got a scissors in his hand. I'm sure that thought crossed their minds. And so both of these women had the same reaction where they went home and they convinced themselves, well, that didn't really happen. I must have just imagined that. And it took them several months, maybe even a year before they said something to each other about it. And they said, Hey, you know, that guy that, that hairdresser, did you, do you still go to him? Do you, did you notice anything weird about him? And then they both figured it out that the same thing had happened to both of them. But even years after, and they stopped going to him, but they didn't say anything to anybody else about it. They didn't 
leave a Yelp review. Well, this was before Yelp, so they couldn't leave a Yelp review. But um, they didn't talk about it publicly except to each other. They just stopped going to him. And this guy continued cutting hair for years. And I guarantee that if it happened to them, it happened to multiple other women or other people. And this guy was, and nobody said anything because he was allowed to continue for so long doing what he did. And even to this, even years later, the two women who this happened to didn't immediately recognize it as a sexual assault. They just were like, oh, well, that was weird and fucked up, but they didn't recognize that this is basically a form of sexual assault. Yes, he was taking out his fetish on his customers. Yeah. His and, clients. And essentially forcing them to look at it. Look right. At, to look at his boner. Yeah. And when the power dynamics are so skewed in that way, you have the implication of violence. Whether or not overt violence happens, there is always that threat in lingering in the background. And that plays into the harass math in our minds yeah. when someone is that much bigger than us and we're in this kind of weird uncomfortable gross situation we don't know if reacting to it is going to result in more violence or if the person is just going to stop mm-hmm. and when you read about some of these situations that happen whether it's Harvey Weinstein or Louis C.K. or any of these people and people are like well why did they take so long to say something well because when it's happening in the moment you're in such a state of shock about it you're you're literally yeah. thinking like one of the thoughts that's crossed my mind in some of the situations i've been in is like is this even happening yep. like you're you almost disassociate from your body and you're almost like is this even is this a real thing that's ha- is this person that like fucked up right how they, could anybody do something so fucked up yeah how could anyone this do can't be so real it can't be real and so you question your own reality at that point you question your own sanity and it can take you years to process it or even realize that what someone did was a violation and you've probably heard of the term gaslighting yes. right So gaslighting is when someone, usually it's in kind of like a partnership situation. It can be friends or partners or family or whatever, when they're actively trying to cast doubt on your perception of reality Mm -hmm. by implanting false information or discounting your perception of what's going on or there are various tactics people use to gaslight and i think what the me too thing has brought up is that people in lesser positions of power have experienced a collective form of gaslighting where we've been unsure that the situations that have happened to us are even abuse like they fall into almost this gray area where like we're we're made to believe that physical abuse is always unacceptable. Mm-hmm. And it is. And rape is always unacceptable. And but, stranger rape is always unacceptable. Right. But most things aren't really rape, you see. But they actually are rape. Yeah. Whereas the reality of the situation is harassment exists on the spectrum of violence. And 
we may be able to say, oh, well, this wasn't physical abuse, therefore it wasn't really abuse, when emotional abuse can be even more insidious and more damaging than physical abuse sometimes. Yeah. Because it makes you question your entire reality. Mm-hmm. So this kind of collective gaslighting happens to where we, we start questioning ourselves and like, does this even happen? And it happens on a very mass scale. I don't know any woman who hasn't been harassed. Even the women who were like, I've never been harassed, eventually trot out some kind of story that is, I think, very clearly some form of sexual harassment. Yeah. often Sometimes they'll even go to the trouble to describe the story and be like, see, it's not harassment. He didn't rape me. He, he didn't, didn't rape me. Yeah. yeah he didn't. T- he didn't grope me for for too long. Or what, what was the what was it that that guy said about the jogger on your Facebook thread? He didn't. He only groped her for a second. So yeah. You know. Oh yeah. So I shared this article about <laughs> there was this woman jogging and she gets groped by a man and in response she stabs him because she was carrying a self defense tool that she could stab someone with a knife. <laughs> and there was someone arguing on my thread that was like, "Oh, did he really deserve being stabbed in response to just groping her for a few seconds?" And this is such a bullshit thing to say because, first of all, some random stranger who's bold enough to grab you, you don't know if he's going to escalate that violence. Right. And if you happen to have any way to defend yourself that equalizes that force or equalizes that violence, then, yeah, why not take it? Oh, yeah. I mean, you can't just... You can't just ask him and say, excuse me, sir, I see that you're groping me right now. Do you plan on escalating this? Like, do you actually plan on raping me or are you just going <laughs> to stop after this? Thanks. Okay, thanks. Yeah, you can't like stop the whole situation and like start, you know, giving this guy an interview of what he's going to do next. Right. It's like, wait a second, you know, let's do an exit survey on this groping situation that just happened. Do you plan to escalate this? Do you plan to follow me home? Do you plan to track me down? Do you plan to beat me up? There's no time to make, you know, some of those calculations. And sometimes you just have to react to violence with violence. Yeah. And that's unfortunate, but that's the world we live in. And the collective gaslighting thing also is something that we do to ourselves in our own minds. I don't say like we, you know, we're asking for it or anything like that. What I mean is we come up with all these excuses in our own minds that excuse unacceptable behavior. Like you don't even have to be actively gaslighted by gaslighted by other people. You can do it to yourself if you're well trained because you've had to deal with this sort of systemic abuse throughout your life on whatever degree of level it is. Some people experience more abuse than other people. But if you've grown up in, you know, the world, if you're existing as a human being, you've experienced varying levels of harassment and abuse. And it can be very easy to downplay any of that because you can start saying, well, I was just groped. That's clearly not as bad as this person who was raped. And you downplay that experience. And some of those are, some people have written about this and like, this is art, these articles have kind of come out. It's like, oh, well, such and such isn't a real victim or anything like that. And I hate that kind of victim measuring bullshit. Yeah. I agree. I mean, it, most people do actually do it to themselves and uh, gaslight themselves, that is. And why do we gaslight ourselves? I think that's important to talk about. 
Because sometimes we're in situations like, for example, our childhood, where we can't admit to ourselves and be honest with ourselves about how bad the abuse we're going through actually is, because it would completely upend our life if we came to the realization about what about how bad what is being done to us actually is. And it's not just our childhood. Sometimes we're in another situation, for example, your job. If you admit that your boss is sexually harassing you, okay, then that could be an incredible inconvenience to your life. It could be a threat to your livelihood if you're going to lose your job over it. Sometimes it is just so much more convenient to stay in denial and to keep going on with life as though nothing has happened because then you don't have to do anything difficult or uncomfortable to try to remedy the situation. So, you know, sometimes it is a very calculated thing that we we sort of suppress and we don't think about, we compartmentalize, we suppress, we, we don't think about how bad the thing that happened to us was and if it was actually abuse or not and what we're going to do about that because that would just be, you know, too much. <laughs> it's, it's all just too much to deal with. So I want to give empathy to, to people who do that. I, I don't want to, you know, say, oh, well, you're, you're bad because you're gaslighting yourself. No, that's a very common thing that almost everybody does. And I, I mean, I would like to actually make a request of if you're listening, try to think of a situation that you're like, well, was that actually abuse or not? Was that sexual harassment or not? And think about it again, maybe with a new perspective. Maybe, maybe this is something you haven't thought about in years that you never understood to be traumatic or hurtful or upsetting to you before. If you think about it now, does your perspective on it change? It's okay if it doesn't change, you know, maybe, maybe it doesn't change, but does your perspective on those events change in light of all this information about me too? And this conversation that you've just been hearing on this podcast and anything else that's, that's been going on in your life recently. Yeah. I think it's really good to kind of have the introspection with these things because it's, it really is so prevalent. And again, I haven't met a whole lot of people who haven't been harassed Men too. I mean, this does apply yes. to men. That's right. And it's even harder for them to come out and say that they've been abused or they've been pressured into something that they didn't want. Mm -hmm. And I mean, you know, we do live in a society where non-consensual pressure, I guess is one way to put it, is normalized. It is, yes. Pressure to do what? To engage in sexual activity? Yes. Or even full out relationships? Or, or relationships, or maybe jobs, or family relationships, oh, or yes. things like that. We don't necessarily live in a consent-based culture. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if you want to go into the whole uh, idea of that libertarians have about consent, but I mean, I, there's basically there are some people out there who... I lack a lot of nuance when talking about consent. They're like, well, something is either consensual or it's not. If they say yes, then it's consensual. If they say no, then it's not. Well, it's a lot more complicated than that because the question isn't always asked, do you want to do this? Yes or no. Sometimes a yes has a lot more behind it, a lot of factors that are taken into consideration. Well, I kind of have to say yes, because if I don't say yes, he'll be mad at me. Or if I don't say yes, I might starve or I might lose my job or whatever. Or there could be all kinds of things going on. So, I mean, consent, I think, is maybe even better thought of as a spectrum. You know, what if you consent to something, but only if somebody pays you, right? If you consent to work for your employer but only if they pay you the amount that you agreed on, a certain salary, 
Um, is it consensual? I mean, yeah, it is, but the payment is a precondition. If they pay you less than that, then your consent is no longer valid because it's not what you agreed to. So I don't know. There's, there's more to consent than I think a lot of people realize. And maybe it's useful to think of it as a spectrum or some shades of gray in between consensual and non-consensual. Um, yeah, I, I completely agree. And something that I found useful, Slate came out with an article about this recently. And it's called, I always felt weird around him after that. 56 people shared their stories of the gray area sexual encounters they can't forget and grappled with what harassment means to them. Mm. This is kind of a longer article, and I'll link to it in the show notes. I, I highly recommend everyone reads this because this really dives into the nuance of consent mm -hmm. because I, I'm a huge advocate of enthusiastic consent. Mm-hmm. You know, like being enthusiastic about consent means like, yes, fuck yes, I want to do this. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah, not, not like a be kind of passive, like, well, yeah, I guess, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like it, it involves like it, you have to be a bit perceptive to body cues and body language and stuff. And this has so many stories kind of detailing the gray areas of consent. And something I did find valuable, too, a lot of people shared their stories about things that I think would broadly be considered harassment, but that they felt was okay for them on a personal level. Like, it, it, they didn't view it as a huge violation. And I think it is really important to listen to victims in this instance or people who've experienced these violations and ultimately allowed them to have ownership of the narrative that they choose from it. Like, I don't want to mm -hmm. morally anguish over other people, even though I can, you know, I might view something as clearly a boundary violation or harassment of some kind. Someone else may not. So I, I don't want to, you know, get hyper vigilant on their behalf for them because they're not asking me to do that necessarily. But there are a lot of really good stories in this. And one of them that stuck out to me was this one who, um, it was actually a guy saying that he was trying to pressure his girlfriend into having sex with him and she didn't want to and she, she wasn't feeling it. And so he was like, well, do you mind if I just watch some porn and masturbate? And she was like, okay, that's cool. And so he starts getting into that, but then she's there with him and he, you know, he starts pressuring her again because he supposedly just can't help himself and he, he pressures her into and he's like, well, you, you know, he's like begging her to like have sex with him. And eventually she's like, yes. And it's a very reluctant yes. And as they're having sex, she's like crying. Oh, it's like really fucking sad. And like, if someone's, cr if someone says no a bunch of times and then they eventually say yes and then you start having sex and they start crying, that's a pretty big sign that that is not okay. That is not consent, even right. though she said yes. Yeah. I kind of wonder about the person that's able to just keep having sex with somebody who's in the middle in tears. Well, that too. I don't right? even know how you, how would could you do not that. be sensitive to what is going on right in front of you that they're clearly like, you don't fuck someone who's crying unless you have like a, 
unless you have clearly negotiated it in advance and it's a fetish for something. Yeah, you know, maybe, like, you know maybe. maybe people are into that kind of kink, like whatever. But like clearly this was not a kink. Right. This was something that it was a violation and the person is reflecting. And it, it's a good thing to read because you get several sides of this discussion, you get the side from people who had been violated and people who were able to reflect back and say, holy shit, I was really shitty about this situation. Yeah. And I think what's indicting about the Me Too thing is while it does kind of show the problem with power dynamics between men and people who are not men, it also highlights other kind of gray areas and other kinds of violations that maybe not men have done. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe, you know, other people have been in situations where they pressured their their male partner, for example, who wasn't really into having sex, but then, you know, did anyway. And we talked about this on Sex and Science Hour, Stephanie's podcast, mm -hmm. about men who wanted to have, who had unwanted sex. Mm -hmm. And the reasons why they did it. And the reasons why they did it. And... It can go both ways. It really can. Yeah. Uh, because there's so much baggage that people carry with them from socialization under patriarchal norms, people tend to sometimes go along to get along and submit to people in situations that they otherwise would not have or don't even actively want to, but they don't want to rock the boat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it almost reminds me a little bit of the way that a lot of people view racism. They're like, well, racists are horrible. Obviously, I'm not racist. But actually, there's a lot of so called casual racism that goes on, where people are actually, yes, they are doing things that are racist. They just don't realize it. And they don't recognize it as such. And they want to think of themselves as, as, you know, not racist, safe from being able to be accused of being a racist, because a racist is a horrible person who just needs to shrivel up and die, and is like really on the fringe of society. When in actuality, everybody is a little bit racist in in different yeah. in different ways like more people are racist than you would think of as those racists over there you know and as people are starting to recognize that i think it's it's really interesting and i think there there is that kind of continuum in sexual assault abuse harassment there is that kind of continuum in sexual violence too and non-consent where a, there is a lot of casual sexual non-consent, let's just call it, that goes on. And almost everyone has done it at some point because we're steeped in a culture that normalizes it so much. And it's not that we, we should, we all have to crawl in a hole and die because we're all rapists or whatever, but we should recognize that, yes, this is a thing that is normalized in our society and no one is immune from having done it. Like you could have done this. Mm -hmm. And you should think about what that means. You know, you should think about, well, you know, did this, like, how do I, how do I process this situation that I was never sure how to feel about before? Do I have a different perspective on it now? It's easy to demonize people who are on the extremes of anything that people think is a binary 
system or a good and evil black and white yeah, kind of system. That's right. Everyone knows that rape is wrong, for example. Mm-hmm. But when we think of rape, we think of stranger, stranger in danger. a dark alley. We think of a stranger yeah. in a dark alley who's preying on women and marauding about and it's this, you know, mystical kind of thing. Statistically speaking, rapists are more likely to be your family members, your dates, dates, your people you know, friends, friends of friends, you know, your partners, partners, spouses, uh, your spouses, especially. Mm-hmm. And this is this is statistically true. And we also are seeing this when it comes to the legal system. Uh, statistically speaking, you are more likely to get a lighter prison sentence if you murder your spouse or partner than if a murderer, and then murderers on the street, basically murderers who are just randomly killing people. This is just this is a study that that came out recently. So basically, the ju- the judge and the justice system is saying like, yeah, you know, I could kind of understand why you wanted to kill your wife. Yeah, like, some bitches are kind of mouthy, and you right. just gotta like strangle them. She was and asking, shut for up. It. Yeah, you know, like that is still very much embedded in the larger kind of collective mindset. You know, to use that bad c word that like some people don't like, but it's true because collective mindsets. Collective imprint. is the C word? <laughs> and the collective is the bad C word. Yeah. I mean, well, it imprints on the judicial system. And the judicial system and government systems in general don't always catch up with cultural norms or, you know, cultural norms and legal norms are not always in line with each other. Yeah, absolutely. And you have this a long huge time. disconnect, and it takes a lot of time, a shit ton of time. We're talking about hundreds of years to change these things. For example, until the 1990s in some states, it was legally impossible to rape your spouse, even if you forced them to have sex with you, clearly against their will, with a weapon, whatever. If you were married to them, it could not be considered rape. 1993 is the exact year. 1993. I was a baby. I was already born by the time 1993 came along. You know, I remember 1993. (laughs) (laughs) Like 1993, and the last states to make it illegal were like something like Oklahoma and Alabama, and there there were a couple others who held out. So this law was kind of passed, and a federal law was passed that basically made states adhere to this law that spousal rape is actually rape. Mm -hmm. But if we look at the numbers that have come out and the statistics that have come out in recent years, we still see that the judicial system has not caught up with even the law of what it says spousal abuses or murder in this case is what it was specifically talking about which there's a very fine line between rape and murder if you want to get real about things if someone is willing enough to violate you Mm -hmm. on that level they are willing to do much more harm to you and if you're familiar with the power and abuse wheel the the cycle of abuse then you are able to know that you're able to see that it's an escalation of violence. It usually starts with uh, verbal abuse and emotional abuse, mental abuse. It proceeds on to breaking your things, or maybe breaking 
things in the house that don't belong to you first, maybe like punching holes in the walls or something like that. Maybe it goes into breaking your things. Control and, and possessiveness is in there as well. Yeah. Controlling behavior, financial strict controls. Mm-hmm. Uh, sexual control, forcing you to wear certain things. You're not allowed to go certain places and escalates from there. And the ultimate end of it is physical violence, possibly murder. And this is very clearly documented. This is not even, again, this is not like a matter of debate. This is just statistics and science. Right. This is what, and something, someone told me this one time and it, it was a huge eye opener for me that if someone is willing to break your stuff, they're willing to break you. Yeah, it's actually kind of a warning. It is a warning because what they're doing to your stuff is an expression of what they want to do to you. Yeah. They want to abuse you. And one of my favorite people ever did a podcast recently on the Thaddeus Russell podcast. It's called Unregistered. Um, Angela Keaton did this amazing podcast, which I highly recommend everyone listen to, where she goes into a lot of personal details in her own life. And a line that stuck out to me that she said was domestic violence makes you a liar because you're lying to yourself about the reality of your situation. Mm -hmm. And I experienced this and I watched other people in my family experience this. You know, I, I kind of come from generations of this and I've seen it happen with other friends of mine and other family members of mine. And you lie about the situation you're in. You make excuses. You come up with so the, the human mind is able to come up with an infinite amount of excuses to justify horrible, unacceptable behavior to each other and I experienced this firsthand. I mean, there's so many times where I wanted to leave the situation I was in. And a couple times I did. But I was able to rationalize what was happening because I lacked the self-esteem to realize that I deserved better and fight my way kind of out of this situation and, and that's the crux of this whole, like, oh, well, why don't they come out sooner, too? Again, whether it's domestic violence or other things, you are able to infinitely rationalize these situations that you find yourself in. And you may be strong enough to survive it. Very much so. I mean, people who have been abused and survived it, and even people who haven't survived it, I mean, you're dealing with extremely strong human beings. Mm -hmm. You know, there's nothing weak. And it can about, happen to anyone. And like, it can happen to anyone. It happens to powerful people. Yeah. You know, that you wouldn't believe, right? People who earn a lot of money, people who are attorneys, doctors, whatever, power women or whatever, that, you know, they're not immune from experiencing domestic violence mm -hmm. or just yeah. violence against women in general, not even from a domestic partner, but mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. And, if you're not living in reality, it is difficult for you to find the resources and the tools to better your situation because you never have to live in that reality. You are able to create your own reality 
no matter what that is. I mean, you're limited by certain, you know, <laughs> certain things. I mean, you can't, you know, fly a rocket into space if you're not a rocket scientist, as <laughs> you know, some people maybe tried to do. Well, I don't think that was from domestic abuse. That wasn't from domestic abuse. That, <laughs> that was, was like another from thing. from thinking the earth is flat. That's from thinking the earth. You're, you're limited by certain laws of physics. <laughs> Yeah, you still have to contend with In business. some ways. But you are above your abuse, even if you feel trapped by it. Mm-hmm. You are stronger than everyone who tried to break you. And you are able to make a better life for yourself. And you don't deserve abuse. No one deserves to be abused. No one deserves to be told that they're worthless because you're not worthless. You're a human being with a vast amount of potential and you don't have to put up with anyone's shit. And maybe that means being alone for a while. And maybe that means dealing with loneliness. But I guarantee you that is better than being in a situation with someone who is taking advantage of you and abusing you and just crippling your freedom at every turn. You know, freedom doesn't always look like security in all areas of of your life. Sometimes it looks like struggling and striving and just being in survival mode, but knowing that you're out of a much worse, more violent situation. Yeah, well said. Can we talk a little bit more about why victims don't come forward or don't come forward right away. I want to talk about like the calculation that goes on, like you said in your poem of like, is anyone going to actually believe me? Or if I tell people, is it just going to be reflected poorly on me? Is, is there going to be some kind of negative consequence to me if I even just try to talk about this? And so often there is, I remember reading just a couple of days ago, there's been a scandal that that has come out in the wake of the Me Too thing about the massage or the spa chain called Massage Envy. It's like a chain of massage places. And there were almost 200 women that have alleged that they were groped or or actually raped in some cases by massage therapists that were working there. And One in particular that was featured in this article I read said that she was getting a massage when all of a sudden the massage therapist started grinding his heart on against her body and, you know, groped her and digitally penetrated her. She was completely shocked and frozen in fear. And she just like laid there during the massage until it was over. Let it happen. Afterwards, she called the front desk and reported that this happened. And the the receptionist said, well, he's with another client right now. I can't interrupt his session. And you're going to have to come in here if you want to make a report, because we don't take claims like this over the phone. So just right there, think about that. I mean, if you just experience such a traumatic event like this, would you actually want to go back to the same place? to make a report, hell no, you would want to get as far away from there as possible. Also, she's basically saying, well, I don't believe you, or the receptionist was saying, I don't believe you. You know, I'm not going to interrupt his other session with another female client right now. I'm not going to go in there and, you know, potentially save her from the same exact thing happening to her. And 
when this guy was, this particular guy was, so after the receptionist didn't take it seriously, the victim called the police and they went to him and they said, Hey, is this true? And he admitted everything right away. It didn't even take anything. He confessed it all. He had, he admitted that he had done it to not only this client, but multiple other women. And that was what it took. Like it was, it was so easy. Like he wasn't even denying that this happened, but yet the victim wasn't believed. Yeah. It was like the default was that, Oh, she's crazy. She must be making it up. Why doesn't she want to come in? Why didn't she come forward sooner? By the way, she came forward right after her appointment, which is unusual because I think a lot of people would have just like the hairdresser situation would have took months or maybe years to process that before they realized, Hey, wait a minute. That was incredibly fucked up. And then by that time, maybe the statute of limitations was over or they're extra thinking, no one's going to believe me. Or they're thinking, well, I don't want people to think I'm just crazy. I haven't heard anybody else come forward. So it must have only happened to me. No, if, if it happened to you, if it's a professional like that, if it's somebody that deals with multiple people who's in an industry and it happened to you, you can bet that there are other victims that it happened to as well. Absolutely. And so one of the reasons it happens is we're conditioned to not believe victims in so many ways. And statistically, this is not supported by evidence. And this is, this kind of goes back to the collective gaslighting thing we were talking about. Let's talk about false rape reports for a second. False rape reports comprise something like 0.2 to 0.5%. Less than 1%. Less less than than half a percent. Less than half a percent oftentimes. Maybe at the most, you know, like 0.9% of all cases are false rape accusations. And there's been some research into why people falsely report. And it's usually commingled with other types of crimes that they're committing and stuff like that too so wow it turns out criminals are also liars big shock there yeah but we're we're told that this false rape thing is way more prominent than it actually is statistically in reality and this is again this weird form it's amazing because the me too thing it shocked me because People were finally believing victims. I've been following this stuff yeah. for my whole life. I've been, I've read a lot about it. I've done a lot of research into it. I follow these stories and I've, I've experienced it so much. And every one of every non man and even a lot of men too I've talked to has experienced a degree of abuse on some level. It is an absolute epidemic of abuse that's going on. And I was, I'm shocked that people are even believing anyone now. I'm like, when is a backlash going to happen? When is, you know, this going to actually kind of backfire or whatever? But we're conditioned to believe in this reality that is not real at all. It's a fantasy world. We're conditioned to believe that false reports happen all the time and that most rape accusations or sexual abuse allegations are false. Right. And that they're doing it to get money from a powerful man or, or attention or attention when actually, um, you know, some of that article that you shared about why do people falsely accuse of rape? 
sometimes, like you said, it is it is like basically criminals, and there's a clear pattern of them fabricating lawsuits against all kinds of people, not just rape. But sometimes people are coerced into making false rape claims. That too, yeah. yeah. And but but the false rape claim it, it, it happens so rare that I, I don't even want to give it a lot of yep, time because re- the reality of the situation is. There is so much more abuse that's going on. And when you think about that these isn't things- That isn't even reported. That isn't reported. And if you think about this rationally, it's easy to understand why it's not reported because you go through so much trauma in the initial experience and then afterwards as you're processing it. And then you have to go through all of these calculations of whether or not it's worth your time and energy to do. And it could destroy your career. It can destroy your mental health or physical health in some cases. There are so many barriers to talking about this legally and socially, mm-hmm. which maybe the social ones are even more of a hurdle in some cases. It's been described that when rape victims go through with a rape test and the interrogation of dealing with police and they actually do the legal hurdles of reporting the rape, it's known as the second rape. Right. Because it's very re-traumatizing. Yeah, they're re-traumatized by the whole experience because the default position of police is to not believe victims. Yeah, that's right. Especially if they're lower socioeconomic status, if they're a sex worker. Sex workers get the worst treatment by police. By and the they also they're the most likely to be victimized yeah, and that's right. the least likely to be believed yep. by police. That's and a huge occupational hazard. And yeah, there are so many cities where there are literally, even when women do come forward and file a report and do a rape kit, there are cities, multiple cities, um, with thousands of rape kits that sit for years without even being processed. Yes. It shows where the priorities are because they just don't care. They're not going to put um, police resources into trying to solve rape cases when there are other activities that could be bringing in more revenue for the police department or could be more popular or whatever. But it happens in multiple cities where they just don't care and they don't pursue the rape cases. Right. And if you look at this from a historical perspective, you mentioned the statute of limitations earlier, and this is a hurdle too for people coming out and speaking about certain types of abuse. Because when it comes to certain types of abuse, you have laws that say, if it happened so long ago, it's no longer able to be prosecuted. So where does that come from? Well, the history of the statute of limitations was made to protect wealthy people, mm-hmm. basically. It's a very extremely classist, racist idea, mm-hmm. basically. it's Sorry, sorry, Western liberals. It's yeah. not If you meant- can get away with it for a couple years, you got away with it. You got away with it. Like, this isn't based on the innocent until proving guilty edict that so many people like to hold up as this, like, wonderful thing of Western civilization. This has extremely sexist, classist, and racist roots. And when you really dive into it, you find out that the statute of limitations was to protect the reputations of people because it's premised on the idea that most accusations are false. Hmm. And that is a huge thing. When when you realize where the history of this kind of comes from, and, and, and a lot of it is like, oh, well, we don't want to ruin the reputation of someone. And how often have you heard that in the last few months with this Me oh. Too stuff? It's like, well, what about the reputation of someone? Aren't people capable of redemption? What about I'm the sorry. swimming career of whoever the... Brock Turner. Brock Turner. 
What about the swimming career of Brock Turner? All of these things. What about the football careers of the Steubenville, Ohio rapists, you know? Yeah, oh, what about Kevin Spacey's career? Right. Kevin Spacey has been victimizing men his entire life. Spoiler alert, they don't get better. They only get worse when they have that much power and prestige and influence and lack of giving a shit about how fucking awful they are. He doesn't have a history of going to rehab and therapy for his sexual abuse. He has a history of lying and covering it up. He has an entire life of covering it up. He's in his, what, like almost 60s now? And he's been doing this since his 20s. I mean, allegations have come out since he was in his mid-20s of being, of, of abusing 14-year-old boys. Ugh. I mean, this is a yeah, lifetime of Yeah, this is not someone abuse. who can be redeemed. There are some people who are beyond redemption. And I would argue that, and maybe I have a kind of harsh stance on this whole thing because I've experienced so much crazy situations in my personal life that like I don't really think that people with a long pattern of abuse are able to be put in the camp of redeemable because if the period of abuse has been longer than the period of attempts at legit redemption and redemption without victimization this is the big key redemption without victimization then you can't really call someone redeemed. It's like an addict. If they are an addict for most of their lives, and then all of a sudden they decide they're going to be sober for six months, I mean, I've met reformed addicts. I really have, and I do believe that they can be reformed and rehabilitated. It is absolutely possible if the period of time of their rehabilitation is about as long, if not longer, than the period of their substance abuse. And I think that's a fair metric to go by, you know? Or even, like, maybe even half the time, like, if someone's been engaging in this behavior for 10 years and they have like five years of solid no abusing other people and taking time to work out their issues and And trying to restitute the victims and restitute the victims that's another huge thing then maybe we can talk about redemption maybe we can bring it up and if they don't just feel bad because they got caught that's another one that's another one. Yeah. Like, are these people trying to bring themselves to accountability? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Probably not. <laughs> oh, it's very few of them. I mean, Kevin Spacey was never going to come out apropos of nothing and say, oh, by the way, I'm a sexual predator. Yeah. And I did all of this stuff and I feel really bad about it. Like, he had to be accused first. Yeah, that's right. And by the way, like, a predator or an abuser or a rapist going to jail... Well, you might think that that's what they deserve, but does that really restitute the victim? I mean, a lot of victims feel that that isn't adequate restitution. Yeah. They would want way more than that. Well, your time is always more valuable than any kind of financial compensation you can have. And you cannot get years of your life back Mm -hmm. that someone stole from you. Yeah. I mean, but at the very least, someone should be getting financially compensated because that is the closest way we can repay someone for the harm that has been caused. Mm-hmm. Um, Especially by people who have means like celebrities or whatever. Like, yes. It would, I mean, it wouldn't like completely make up for it, obviously, but it would be a nice 
step or a nice gesture to like give a bunch of money to rain the rape abuse and incest network. Yeah. Right. Or rain is a great resource. Your rain is really good. Who needs resources. Yeah. Or, you know, I'm just kind of thinking on the fly here, but like it should be up to them to sort of think of things for themselves that they would like to do to show that to show with their actions that they actually are sorry and they're trying to get better and they're trying to do better. Mm -hmm. So another reason people don't come out and name names and this kind of, I mean, this ties into some of the other stuff we've been talking about, too, is this idea that you're damned if you do and damned if you don't. Oh, yeah. That's so, a good one. so if you name names for people who are abusive, you will be called a liar, first of all. You're putting your personal and professional, sometimes, reputation online by naming abusers mm-hmm. and putting, you're putting a huge target on yourself, too, for more abuse. Mm-hmm. You're saying this person abused me. So what that's going to do, it's going to do a bunch of things. What it's going to do is it's going to make people think that you are trying to cause unnecessary drama. Oh yeah, you're always blamed. You're a drama. You're always queen. blamed for causing the drama as though you're you chose to be co- in this situation. Yeah, like no one chooses to be a victim. No one's like, "Oh, I think I want to go get molested today." You know, like no one wakes up with It's not that like taking an Instagram selfie or something. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, this is not like an active choice that you were making to be victimized. So you put a huge target on yourself, too, for other people who are looking for people to abuse, like bad, awful people who try to victimize and re-victimize people. And yeah, you catch a lot of bullshit and you might lose your career. You might be in the case of some of the women who talked about what Louis C.K. did to them. They were blacklisted. They, their careers were basically ruined. Mm-hmm. And this happens a lot in any industry, by oh the way. Oh, my God. Yeah. It's, it's even almost- if you're not talking about abuse, like I'll talk a little bit about my personal experience with naming scam artists. And because mm-hmm. I was involved in libertarian stuff for a while and I named scam artists. And I am totally fine because I've been completely vindicated in everyone that I named. Everyone has only gotten worse with time, exactly as I predicted they have. Uh, but no one gives you credit for being right about it. And now people are finally talking about it and as if it's like news when I broke the story years ago and mm. instead of people being like, oh, that was great. I mean, there were a few people who reached out and they were like, oh, that's great. Like, I didn't know about this. Thanks for letting me know. But most of it was people saying I was just trying to cause drama and I was trying to be divisive for no reason and all of this stuff. And then when I shifted my focus and started talking about people who were using their power for abuse, which whenever you have power and whenever you have hierarchical structures, you're going to have abuse. Abuse and power go hand in hand. They always will. This is why whatever you want to, however I'm going to describe myself, I'm anti-hierarchical. You know, there's going to be power abuses where there are high concentrations of power. I think a lot of people get that in respect to the police or like the judicial system or the government or things like that, or, or even like a church or something like that, or a school where there's like prince, you know, adults with power over kids or like, 
you know, like the Catholic church sex abuse scandal. A lot of people get it on those levels, but power dynamics also occur in interpersonal relationships, in workplace relationships that it, it doesn't have to be these huge institutional structures. There's yes. still power, power dynamics between lots of pairings of individuals. Yeah. And, you know, I, I've pointed this out in, in things I've written about and things I've talked about before. And one of the last public talks I gave was about abusive people taking advantage of power dynamics in subcultures. And I meant it to be broad. A lot of people thought I was talking just about libertarianism, but I wasn't. I was talking about all subcultures because subcultures can be very niche. And even when you have very niche interests, you have you still have power dynamics. You still have people who rise to the top because they have a certain degree of charisma and energy. And those people, I guarantee you, just about every time will abuse any kind of power. I mean, people abuse power when it comes to going out to eat at a restaurant. Have you know have you ever been have you ever been part of a group where where like have you ever been friends with someone who is perfectly nice to you and such a nice person then as soon as they're around a server they treat them like shit yes i have and that bothers the shit out of me and that's how you know like that person cannot be trusted with any degree of power (laughs) right exactly they can't be a decent human being to a fucking server yeah and i've been a server a lot too and i've been on the other end i've also eaten at a lot of restaurants again these power dynamics cause a lot of abuse and You know, I'm not trying to say there's any kind of conspiracy or anything like that. But after I gave that talk, I have not gotten really a lot of conference invites. Mm. I was speaking at conferences fairly regularly right before that. And after that, my conference invites pretty much dried up. That's curious, isn't it? I mean, yeah, I'm not trying to say there's any kind of high correlation there, but I'm also... Not not saying that, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not saying, you know, maybe there there's nothing there because you, people don't like to know the truth. And the truth is that there are a lot of bad motherfuckers in the world who will use those power differences to exploit other people, regardless of how tiny the power differences are. And so on the other hand, so if you name if you name people, which I have before, and I've caught a lot of shit, I put my neck on the line mm-hmm. naming names when it comes to people. I think my friends and colleagues and people I work with shouldn't do business with, or you know, I, I don't want to get into the friendship thing because that's even more convoluted and complex. But like just on a business level, like I've put my neck out on the line several times. I've named names. I've been very public about who I think are scumbags and who have repeated uh, histories of abuse. But you're damned if you don't, too. And I've seen this happen just as often where people are making broad accusations of abuse and saying such and such movement or whatever has a problem with misogyny or a problem with sexual abuse or things like that. And immediately they're attacked and people are like, why don't you name names? Why don't you do this? And they're not even considering that some people are not in a position to be able to safely do that without getting harm to their person or their professional careers or their family or things like that. I mean, you don't know how vulnerable someone is even if they are making broad sweeping claims of abuse. And the thing, I mean, a good metric is, what are they talking about? Are there huge disparities of power in the thing they're talking about? Okay, yeah, there's likely abuse going on. Yeah, This is just 
reality again. This is par for the course. So you catch shit no matter what you do. And I've seen other people say, like, you know, such and such has a problem with with this. And people will jump on their case and be like, name names, I'll back you up. People will say they'll back you up. But when if you name certain names, you find out how quickly they'll back you up and how quickly they won't. (laughs) Because if the abuser is popular, nobody wants to believe it. Spoiler alert, most abusers are popular. Yeah, that's right. That's how they get away with it. Because they're extremely charismatic and extremely mm-hmm. likable. Mm-hmm. I mean, Kevin Spacey was they got one of my power. favorite actors. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like, and now I think of him as a total shitbag. You look at other people who were extremely successful and talented. You know, Roman Polanski, Woody Allen, fucking child rapists. <sighs> Pretty much, and people want to get down to brass tacks. People continue to make excuses for them even after that information came out and say, "Oh, but their movies are so good." Right, right, and I mean that is a whole other debate separating the art from the artist and whatever. I'm not going to think of someone as like a bad person for liking a Woody Allen movie or mm-hmm. anything like that. I'm also not going to watch a Woody Allen movie because I think he's a fucking disgusting terrible person and those themes are reflected in the movies as well and yeah which is extra disturbing which is even more it's one thing if your art doesn't reflect your sick perversions or (laughs) proclivities it's another another thing if it does um one of the people who is accused which i was extremely disappointed to find out was accused of harassment was jeffrey tambor who's that he is, he's been in Arrested Development and oh. Transparent, which I love Transparent. Oh, wow. I'm talking about yeah, like just that. a yeah. really well done show. He's been in a bunch of movies and stuff. I mean, just one of my favorite actors and who, someone who seemed like they were an ally to LGBTQ people, especially trans people. And it turns out he was harassing a couple of the trans actresses, which was devastating. I mean, this is someone I really did like his work. I got a great deal of enjoyment out of watching, you know, um, his shows and stuff like that. But now it's kind of, I'm very much soured on the whole thing. And considering how few people even come forward or talk about it at all, a person usually has to victimize a lot of people before there are like allegations that come forward. And how many more have they victimized that didn't even say anything when the wave of allegations came out? Yeah. You were talking about that um, that hacker guy from New Zealand that was, like, victimizing all these women and they kind of pieced it together. And, I mean, and he was, like, a male feminist. You know, he was writing about feminism and stuff. So it's a real mindfuck when someone seems like they're, they're supposedly an ally, but it's really a cover-up for the fact that they're just a complete creep. Yeah, his name was Morgan Marquivoir, and he has come out. I mean, it turns out that it's it's ale- allegedly because we have to say the right. a word. You know, allegedly he's a serial rapist. Yeah. He's drugged and raped a lot of women in New Zealand, Australia, and the United States, and I think in London too. I think was one of the um, things. And I mean, this guy worked for the Intercept, which is a great. Publication. I mean, if you want to talk about like security and foreign policy and things like that, just very top notch. I mean, he's was a very prom work for Google was a very prominent human rights activist and all of these things. And 
people who are extremely likable are oftentimes the most likely to be abusers. I've seen this play out again and again. For example, pedophiles, uh, to get really dark with like one of the worst types of abuse, they are often some of the most upstanding citizens in yeah. their regions, in their cities. You look at Jerry Sandusky, for mm. example. Yeah. People were completely shocked, completely shocked at what he was accused of. They could not believe it. And mm. this is a very common thing with very, you know, with successful pedophiles. Like, you cannot believe how horrible someone can be. And so what they tend to do and other abusers do, they tend to overcompensate for this. Like an abuser is sometimes going to be a shitty person who's obviously shitty. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. that's your low functioning abuser. Your high functioning abusers are so likable that you question all of the accusers. Like Bill Cosby, for example, is oh, another example. Yeah, How that's a great example. How much was Bill Cosby loved? 30 plus women came out with the literally women who didn't know each other from all across the country, possibly even the world came out with almost the exact same story yeah. of how he drugged and raped them. Mm -hmm. That is not a coincidence. That is not a conspiracy. That is something that he did as a serial predator. And no one could even, it was so and hard And every to one of them that. was impugned and, and people just didn't want to believe it. Mm -hmm. And he denied it. So I'm sure that made it even that people just, that confirmed people's confirmation bias when they didn't want to believe it. Yeah. At first he denied it. Right, right. And uh, this happens again and again. I'm, you know, I, I have to say with how stressful the past several months have been just with all of this kind of coming out publicly, I'm glad that it finally is. I hope people really learn a real lesson with this that, yeah, it's most likely to be the most likable person you know. And I, and that sucks. It, it's fucking, it makes you lose all hope in humanity. It makes you think if such and such, who I thought was such a good person who did all of these good things. And a lot of times they do do meaningfully good things for other people. If they can do that and also be such a monster, how is there other good in the world? But, you know, the good news is there, there are people who do those same good things and have as much of an impact who aren't complete monsters. Mm -hmm. And that's really the only way you can kind of grapple with it, I yeah. think. Not every likable, charismatic person is a rapist, a secret, right, know, yeah. horrible monster. But the high-functioning, horrible monsters are very charismatic. And they're, it's very easy for them to get away with things. Yeah. You were kind of mentioning earlier, and we, we were talking a bit about this. I wanted to mention this because I think this is a good example of what this looks and feels like that I came across recently. The kind of shock that someone is in when this is happening to them, where you're like, you almost disassociate from your body and you're almost like questioning what reality is. Yeah. There's this episode of One Mississippi that I watched recently where one of the characters is in a meeting with the producer of her radio show and she's talking with him and all of a sudden she realizes that he's masturbating under the desk Ugh. and the way the whole thing is filmed is a very good representation of disassociation because she's kind of like 
she's talking and he's doing this and it kind of pans out and it, things get kind of blurry and it's she's kind of like wait is this even happening like everything gets very obscured and then afterwards she's like did that even happen and then she goes to she tells her co-host and she, and her co-host is pissed and you know she confronts him and immediately denied it's immediately like that can't have possibly happened but it did and that whole scene is a really good example of like kind of what that feels like where you're just kind of like you don't feel like you're even in your body you're just kind of you're just so shocked by what's happening you're like is this even happening can this even be because again a lot of times when this happens it's someone that you're close to and someone that you're friends with or colleagues with or romantic partners with or in your family even and that's terrifying to have to deal with it's it's a person that you trust and you've grown to trust and so you can't reconcile the person that you knew who is such a good person with the person who is abusing you. So you don't know what to do in that situation. You tend to not do anything. And then when you're processing it afterwards, that's when the excuses kind of start coming. And that's when the rationalizations start coming. And you sometimes do have to just deny reality to get through it. Yeah. People go to great lengths to deny reality. I mean, I've known of cases of rape where a rape occurred and then the victim went back and had consensual sex with the rapist afterwards as yeah. though that made the first time okay. Yeah. That's actually quite common. I mean, that's the lengths that people will go to to reframe and recast situations so that they don't so that they have to do anything but accept that the reality that what happened to them was violence. Mhm. And, unfortunately, if you have to contend with the legal system that's completely biased against victims, if something like that comes up in a court case, say it even gets to trial, which is, I mean, we're talking about, like, Herculean efforts of, you know, right, that's advocation rare. on your part to, like, even get something like that to trial, you will be completely attacked on the stand. That will completely be brought up against you mm -hmm. and that's another reason why people don't come forward is if you've made any kind of mistake in your life they know you know that that will be used against you there's this idea of the perfect victim mm -hmm. and the perfect victim looks like someone who is like virginal and god-fearing uh you know innocent person who uh is a, is a beacon in their society and they're completely innocent and wasn't and doing anything wrong like wasn't drinking wasn't walking wasn't, somewhere sketchy through an alley wasn't wearing you know was dre dressed dresses like a mennonite yeah you know? <laughs> that's right <laughs> well guess what folks you know the myth of like what she's wearing she's asking for it in places where women wear burqas they still get raped they get raped they get disfigured with acid yeah they, they get, get killed, killed murdered. murdered i mean when it comes to even like darker things and i've kind of written about this what was i wearing as like a five-year-old kid to get molested 
how was that Obviously, justified? you didn't do anything to cause that. Right. What was I wearing as a server in a restaurant listening to people, you know, talk about my body parts or corner me and intimidate me? You know, I wasn't wearing anything flattering. Yeah. I was wearing like a t-shirt and an apron that had stains all over it. I mean, I might as well have been wearing a burlap sack. Why is the first thought always to question what the victim was doing to cause it and not to co- not to question what the fuck the perpetrator was thinking when yeah. actually taking the action? It's it's amazing how people avoid asking that question. Yeah. Yeah, it, it really is, and it just shows the kind of disparity of things. So, yeah, there is this kind of disparity of treatment between victims and abusers. It's automatically assumed that abusers, even sometimes with a history of admitted abuse, are still not so bad and capable of redemption, whereas a victim is... Even when they admit it. Even when they admit it. And the victim is just endlessly picked apart. Yep. Or they'll be blamed for getting with someone with a history of abuse, too. That's right. Again, it's never the abuser's fault, seemingly, even though they've, they're the ones who've done the damage. And very oftentimes, they don't get the full repercussions of their actions. And it's infuriating. This shit pisses me off so bad. I've had to just, I've had to step away from social media for a day or so at a time with all this coming up because it's making me relive a lot of the trauma that I've gone through. And, It's making me realize that some things were definitely abuse or harassment that I hadn't considered before. And it's just, and I've had this conversation with a lot of other people too, who've been abused. And it's an extremely re-traumatizing thing. It's a necessary thing that needs to happen. This needs to reach a critical mass. Men need to finally accept that, holy shit, this has happened to every single woman I know. No shit, motherfuckers. We've been telling you this for years. We've been telling you this for fucking centuries. For fucking centuries. And it just amazes me. It's like people are finally like, well, I guess the women were right all along. No fucking shit. Okay? Yeah, they were just weren't listening before, or they, uh, or it was a, more sinister, and they, you know, they couldn't accept it because they enjoyed participating in the abuse, or they the were covering for their gave. friends. This is the yeah. biggest thing: is like you see a lot of these people covering for their friends, or using the excuse, "Well, they like especially for mother men. Well, he never abused me; he was always cool with me." Yeah, no I mean, shit, of dude. Course he never abused you. You're not the fucking target. Mm-hmm. Men treat women differently than they treat other men. This yeah, is just of course, reality that we're living in. And it's also worth pointing out, of course, that like the targets can are often women. They don't have to be women. Plenty of men have also experienced abuse. And, pl- you know, people of all genders have experienced abuse. But the perpetrators are nearly universally men yes yes because uh, a lot of people will try to bring up well, what about prison rape guess who's doing the prison raping y'all fucking men yes guess who's doing any kind of abuse yeah anyone of any gender can be abused 
but the people who are predominantly the aggressors are men. 90-something percent. It's something like 94, 95% of violent crimes are committed by men. Yeah. This We're talking about a huge disparity. We're not talking about 50-50. If you break down the genders of things, you would think if we lived in this post-gender, gender-neutral society, feminist, matriarchal fucking paradise, that the crimes would be split 50-50 based on roughly or so gender. You know, you have more gender-neutral people kind of coming out and stuff like that. But, like, if you just kind of go by, like, a binary of, like, you know, cis men and cis women or men and women or whatever, it's 50-50 roughly of the population, you would think that 50% of violent crimes would be committed by both genders. But that is not the case. We're looking at disproportionate violence coming from men. Hugely disproportionate, yeah. It. This is not debatable. This is statistics. This is math. That's right. This is not a sociological thing. This is not a and philosophical thing. And it's true across thing. cultures. It's true across yes. time. It's true across cultures. Yes. Yes. There's even like a, you know, nature kind of basis for this. If you want to get into you know, the animal kingdom or whatever. I mean, like people are fucking vicious. We are just animals. We're slightly more evolved animals who are incredibly violent and no violence is excusable, regardless of what gender it's coming from. Full yeah, stop. That's right. There is no excuse for violence against other people. But we have to realize who is doing the violence and who holds the power in society. And it just happens to strongly correlate. And in this case, I think correlation is causation mm -hmm. because you cannot separate power from violence. Yeah, that's right. I was just thinking, what about animals? I guess you could say that in a lot of animal society, like primates, for example, you know, the males may hold a lot of power because they have physical strength. Mm -hmm. There's a side. lot of rape and stuff like that in yep. animals. But we're not talking about like <laughs> we're not talking primates. About <laughs> we're talking about humans. <laughs> we're talking about humans. That's just an interesting little tangent, I guess. But yeah, we're talking about humans. Yes, yes. And there have been so many other studies to kind of show the the power and violence connection. Mm -hmm. You have things like the Stanford Prison Experiment and things like that where you put people in a fictional environment where there are wildly skewed power dynamics and immediately like like that people become abusive. Yeah, that's right. I I like that you're bringing this up and pointing it out as a theme in this cuz I do think that's a really important theme. And so yeah, if you're trying to protect yourself, I mean, always be skeptical of those who have power, watch who's in power, don't assume that they're infallible or that they're not going to abuse their power. And, you know, one more thing, when you say that males are the perpetrators by overwhelmingly of violent crimes and of sexual crimes, everybody always likes to trot out the one edge case of the female teacher who has sex with a young boy at the school or something like that. And yes, that may have happened. It is such a small percentage of the overall of every case of victimization that it is an edge case. And it's important to remember that. But also, she had power. She was a teacher at the school. Yeah, that's not an argument against power at all. Right. If you understand It supports power. the same thesis. It does. Teachers have power over students. Older people have power over younger people. Usually, well... I guess if they're really old, maybe not in certain cases, but 
when we're talking about the younger age ranges, a teacher and children. Yeah, that's right. Adults have power over adolescents and children by -hmm. virtue of their age and their experience, experience, life experience. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. And abuse is not okay in that situation. And no one, no 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 one's saying it's okay. okay. That's another thing. When people trot out that one exception to things, no one is ever like, in fact, the people who are saying, oh, I wish that was me, guess what? They are men. Like, the only people who say that's okay are men. I, I have yet to see a feminist or a woman or a non-man person say, oh, yeah, that's totally okay. Mm-hmm. I really haven't. It's usually people who are usually ignorant men who are saying, oh, I wish my teacher had slept with me. And I don't wish that. Like, I don't, when I read those stories, no. my heart breaks for those kids. Yeah. Because they don't know what they're getting into, even if they think they do, even right. if they are teenage boys who have a high sex drive and they want to be sleeping with their teacher. She's exploiting them. Mm-hmm. She's exploiting that power dynamic and victimizing them. And, you know, whatever kind of rationalizations or excuses you want to give, it's not okay. And right. no one's saying it's okay aside from a few fucking dudes. And even those dudes are not saying, oh, I wish this would happen to my son. Wouldn't that be great for his life? You yeah, know? exactly. They're, they're saying, I wish it had happened to me because I had some kind of teacher fantasy. Yes, a lot of kids have crushes on their teachers, especially once they get to a certain age. But going any further than that is clearly abuse. And it's not okay, no matter what the genders of the people involved. Yeah. And how do we combat this? Like, how do we recognize these things for what they are and foment this culture of consent and this idea of challenging power dynamics and believing victims? Well, it starts with deconstructing the cultural and social norms that we've been raised in and what those tend to be on the side of is traditionalism Mm. and puritanical norms and these kinds of ideas of you know you know women are supposed to be this way and men are supposed to be this way and there is only a binary of woman and man and all of these things woman and man is defined by the body parts that you have and what a doctor says at birth whether it's it's a boy or it's a girl And that carries all kinds of assumptions about how you should live your life and how you'll be treated by other people, how you'll be perceived, what you can do in your life. Mm -hmm. And yeah, those traditional gender roles. Wow. I mean, I don't think that for the whole of human history, those gender norms were in place. I think they're kind of specific to like Western societies, perhaps, you know, if you look at like uh, tribal cultures and stuff and ancient cultures. Now, some Eastern societies too. Yeah, so Eastern societies too, sure. Uh, I don't know. I mean, you're right to call it traditionalism. Maybe that was like a tangent, but you're right to call it traditionalism because it has been that way for a long time. And we generally learn these norms from adults in our lives from the time that we're children, from the time that we are born. And the doctor says it's a boy or it's a girl we are treated a certain way according to that pronouncement. And even before that in the womb, if you choose to find out whether or not the baby you're carrying has certain, a certain genital configuration, they've, they've had studies where women or people who are pregnant have 
different pitches of voice that they use to talk to their babies in the womb once they find out whatever the perceived gender of the baby is. So if it's a girl, oh. maybe they start talking to them in a higher pitch kind of voice or like, and I mean, again, as how influential is that before someone is born? That's debatable, but it starts even before someone is born. Right. It, it shows how deeply, deeply ingrained the biases of the parents are and how in in the vast majority of cases, the parents are not aware of their own biases about gender, and they basically just pass them on to the children. And that that's why you call it traditionalism, because so many traditions are like that, where it's just this unthinking, passing it on to the younger folks. Young people learn it from older people who learned it from older people than them, and it's just been passed along without being questioned. Right. And we have to question these assumptions that culture has said are unquestionable. And we have to challenge these, I think, at every turn. And yeah. if we people want are people questioning to be, it more, people now, are questioning it more, especially with the Me Too thing. People are finally realizing, like, wow, women were right. This is a problem. And how do we move forward from there without it devolving into bullshit? And that's really hard. But yeah, constantly challenging these things and pushing that kind of Overton window of, you know, acceptable discourse in the right direction. I mean, I'm not going to lie. Like everyone. (laughs) Well, yeah, like everyone has an agenda. It's just a matter of whether or not they're honest about it. Mm -hmm. You know, my agenda as someone who's creating content and podcasts is to create things that are entertaining, but also add to some degree of human flourishing. And to me, human flourishing means fairly radically progressive social norms that are tolerance and acceptance and things like that. And also intolerance of certain things. I mean, if we want to be real about it, like I'm not like a tolerant, like the whole, like, you know, so much for the tolerant left. I'm not going to tolerate abuse. I don't right, think anyone no. should tolerate you should, abuse. Nobody should tolerate abuse. Yeah. That's not, that's not tolerance. You know, that's like a disingenuous definition of tolerance. You it know? is. I'm not going to tolerate someone talking down to me or abusing me because of my perceived gender or sexual orientation or anything like that. Mm-hmm. And there's been a backlash to this kind of tolerance. I mean, the thing is, so so there's this phenomenon of the alt-right, which I've, for years, for years I've been making the argument that the alt-right, there's nothing alternative about the alt-right. Mm-hmm. It's basically the same boring fucking puritanical traditionalism wrapped up in edgy memes. Mm -hmm. I mean, all they did was they added a cartoon frog to puritanism and they started to call it something new and edgy. And it's just not. And some of these people know how to use the internet. Oh, wow. Big fucking whoop. Good job. (laughs) The right wing has learned how to use the internet finally. Good for you guys. And so there's been a resurgence and a backlash against a lot of these kind of forward thinking Mm -hmm. movements, I guess you could say, or, you know, they're trying to push the Overton window kind of back into traditionalism, which we're already steeped in traditionalism. Can we stop pretending that we don't already live in a vastly puritanical culture? Look at who's president. We have a rapist as president. Oh, I'm sorry. Allegedly. I hope the FBI doesn't fucking come after me because they're so goddamn petty because we have the pettiest president almost in all of human history since, like, what, fucking... 
I don't even know. There's been a bunch of petty ass presidents fucking. Yeah, they mean, they're all pretty like, bad, but this is like a whole new level. This is like I mean, toddler level petty. So we have this phenomenon of the alt-right, and we're going to wrap it up pretty shortly here, but I, I came across this article, which I found hilarious, because the only way I can cope with how fucking horrible it is living in a rape culture is to laugh at it sometimes. That's which, one approach. Yeah. Which I realize is maybe not the healthiest coping mechanism, but it is you my coping. I know. Works for I'll you. do me. And <laughs> this is how I fucking cope with this shit. So I came across this article on Salon, which I don't love Salon. I don't love Salon at all. Right. I have a whole lot of issues with Salon, the publication. God, they are, it's some of the most toxic leftism I've ever seen. But every now and then, Every now and then they get it right. <laughs> I mean, a broken clock is right twice a day. A, a right? broken clock is right twice twice a day. So Salon came out with an article today called Alt-Right Women Are Upset That Alt-Right Men Are Treating Them Terribly. Which, oh, boo-hoo. Which, like, I'm not going to lie. I'm just going to... This is purely fueled by Schadenfreude. Fucking no shit, y'all. No shit. Women, God and fruit, God and fruit, <laughs> which is taking pleasure in the misfortune of others. I thought it was Schadenfreude. Scott, is it Schadenfreude? <laughs> I don't know. I don't, I don't know. Speak Maybe German. I'm an asshole. I don't speak German. I like Schadenfreude. Let's go with it. Maybe it's Schadenfreude. Basically, the German word that means taking, taking pleasure. pleasure in the misfortune of others, <laughs> which I recognize as petty. I'm not saying I'm above being petty. I've never claimed to be above being petty as fuck sometimes. I, I can I can dish it and I can take it. I'm petty as fuck. I'll admit it. There. Fine. I don't give a shit. Um, so this article is great. Because it highlights this kind of hypocrisy. First of all, so I've been involved in various political ideologies throughout my life. And there was a period of time where I was probably more, I was much more right wingish than I was now. I would yeah. never say that I was an anti feminist, but I very much was like, oh, well, I don't really identify as a feminist. And I read a lot of, you know, Christina Hoff Summers and, uh, stuff like that and that whole strain of I, I hesitate to even call it feminism they call themselves feminists but they're but, really anti-feminists but they kind of hate women and yeah. have a lot of internalized misogyny for reasons that are probably personal yeah that's right I said it Ooh, like <laughs> so, I did too I, I definitely had I would say I had an alt-right phase 15 years before the alt-right existed when I was a teenage edgelord and I didn't understand how the world works. <laughs> and I thought I was being really edgy and cool and different by just saying like horrible, vile shit and like thinking that, oh, I don't need feminism while actually like using all the platforms that feminism advocated so that I would be able to even say things like that, you know, like. Yeah, without feminists, you wouldn't have any rights to go on Twitter and talk about how much you hate women and feminism. Mm -hmm. So um, all of these alt-right people should be thanking feminism for their pandering to people who hate them. And this article is a great example of it. So it starts off saying, there's trouble brewing in the MAGA world, which is, you know, make America great again. 
as prominent women in the alt-right are upset the white nationalists are being misogynistic towards them. Women in the alt-right are constantly harassed by low-level anonymous trolls trying to put us in our place, self-described ethno-nationalist Tara McCarthy wrote on Twitter Sunday in a moment of revelation that was well-known to basically anyone else. Yeah, you and think, that's perfect. Tara? It's like no shit. You mean a, you mean a movement that's built on oppressing women hates women? Mm-hmm. Fucking what? <laughs> like wh- I don't understand why a woman would be a well. Actually, I do understand why a woman would be attracted and drawn to a an anti feminist movement that hates women because I was that woman at one time and I didn't realize it at the time. But what was going on for me, I realized later, was that. You know, sometimes when you sort of unconsciously realize that there are a lot of people around you, men that have power, you know, when you, you realize there's a patriarchy, right? And you think, okay, well, this could go one of two ways. I could resist it. I could fight against it. I could scream about injustice. I could try really hard to uh, oppose it. That's going to make my life really difficult. Or I could actually side with it and maybe it'll protect me a little bit at least as long as I have something it wants, like I'm a young, beautiful woman, you know, mm-hmm. as long as I can uh, sort of gain favor with these men, um, it'll protect me from them hurting me. And that is an idea that I think a lot of women have unconsciously. Sometimes it's a little more conscious, but usually I think it's definitely going on below the surface. You also see this, this, um, it's been described recently as, as cool girlism, right? You're trying mm-hmm. to be a cool girl who's not like those other girls who are so uncool. You're easygoing. You're not a bitch like every other woman out there. You get along with guys because guys don't start drama like girls do. Oh my God. Women are so crazy. That's why I only hang out with men, 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 men. That's a cool girl. And a cool girl can take lots of different forms. One of one extreme example of being a cool girl is joining the alt-right and saying, yeah, you know, men, white men are actually the ones who are oppressed in this country now. I agree with you. Women have it so easy. We really should just be like at home having white babies and not doing anything else. And I mean, women are so bossy nowadays. They tell men what to do. They really need to be like put in their place. Oh, please protect me and please think I'm cool and please give me your approval. You know, that's what a cool girl does. And it's really kind of sad because it never lasts. With the exception of Ann Coulter, most cool girls burn out because one, they start to understand and sort of get wise to why they actually do need feminism. And and two, they realize that all their fans and all these people who they wanted to protect them, all these men that they were trying to curry favor with are fair weather friends. Because as soon as they start to get older, or they lose their their good looks, or they lose their youthful appearance, or they get married to somebody, or they get pregnant, and they, they become sexually unavailable to those men, those men who were their supporters and fans, and they thought protectors, disappear immediately. I think that's a perfect way to deconstruct this fascination with pandering to the patriarchy that Mm -hmm. a lot of these women do. And I went through a phase like this too, because I did realize on some subconscious level that 
there is some protection in appealing to power and appearing to be a certain kind of way. And it took me a long time to realize that because at the time it wasn't like a strategic move on my part. It wasn't like this kind of conscious thing I was thinking of, like, oh, I'm going to do this to curry favor. Maybe on some level for some women it is. Mm -hmm. One example I use is Ann Coulter. I think she absolutely knows what she's, she's doing. She's trolling everybody. She's way too smart to not know what she's doing. Right. Why is she 40 and isn't married or doesn't have a kid, right? Yeah. She fucking, she's extremely savvy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, aside from being like, you know, I, I disagree with her on just about everything. I think she's more conscious of this kind of thing. But yeah, and I had a lot of kind of self-hatred and self-doubt in a lot of these things. And I would say that I did genuinely believe some of the talking points for a while because I had a lot of internalized misogyny. Oh, that's another good... I'm glad you brought that up. That's another thing. Internalized misogyny contributes to this, where we start to internalize or actually believe and repeat to ourselves the misogynistic ideas that are floating around in culture that have been told to us by our older adults, by TV and movies and et cetera, et cetera. An example of that might be something like you see enough commercials on TV that say, oh, you you don't want to have unsightly spots on your skin or acne or wrinkles, or God forbid, your lips don't look plump at all times and you don't roll out of bed looking like you have a full drag of makeup on. And you start to actually believe it. Oh my gosh, I'm, my natural face looks ugly. I, do, I really need these products to correct my flaws. Or, you know, you see commercials for an extreme example was there was a vaginal bleach that was marketed to women to bleach their vagina, their vulva, because it might be too brown and might probably smell bad as well. Women internalize. That's got some like racism wrapped up in that shit. It does. Yeah, that's a complicated one because it has racism wrapped in there. Lots to unpack there. Yeah. But like people can internalize misogyny, they can also internalize racism. They can internalize ableism. They can internalize any bias. Yeah. And start repeating it to their themselves so that it, culture is no longer even needed because you fully believe these misogynistic ideas. Yeah. And I wasn't always the outspoken radical queer that I am today. A few years ago, I was a very different person. I was extremely patient when talking to men and I was very feminine looking and all of these things. And I was like, I'm skeptical of feminism, even though I'd done a lot of reading on it and stuff like that. Did you get a lot of praise from men? Yeah. Did they like it when you said I'm skeptical of feminism? So this is the thing. You realize that your life is a lot easier when you make it easy for men to agree with you. Mm Mm-hmm. And when I was being agreeable to men, whether it was in my presentation or the things that I was saying, which is basically just agreeing with whatever they were saying, right? then I had a lot easier time of life. You know, I still was not, you know, above being harassed, as if you can even be above being harassed. I still, I still experienced a shit ton of sexual harassment, but... I also had a lot easier of a time. I didn't experience other types of harassment, for example. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, even though there was still a very thick layer of condescension mm. over things, like it, it was a different type of condescension. 
you know. Yeah, it was like, oh, she's stupid. She couldn't possibly hurt me, you know. Yeah, yeah. You're 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 viewed as non-threatening mm-hmm. and all of these things. And yeah, I had an easier time of it. And then when I started kind of realizing like, holy shit, this is all wrong. <laughs> this is all just wrong. I'm gonna have to reevaluate my my thinking on these things. And I got a lot more outspoken. A lot of things in my life changed. Mm. A lot. I got a different level of harassment. I got different types of harassment. Things are much more Then you more start getting difficult. the death threats, right? Yeah. yeah. Then you start, you know, getting people threatening to like, I had a guy message me. So I have a tattoo on my back and someone had taken a picture of it. And he leaves a bunch of comments on this picture accusing me of, I don't know, being in the Illuminati or some weird shit. And he starts privately messaging me and then like sending audio clips of him saying stuff. And he's saying demented fucking shit. Like someone needs to like cut that tattoo out of your back. You're a terrible fucking prostitute. You stupid cunt bitch. You're holy shit. It was fucking psychotic. Wow. You know, and like, yeah, I'm a tattooed woman with fucking piercings and shortish hair, and I don't always dress super feminine. Sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. Whatever, you know, people perceive me to be a woman, like, oh, whatever. The gender stuff is all over the place. But yeah, as soon as I started, you know, I, I changed my appearance to be more of like what I had always kind of felt. I was, and then I also became outspoken about gender stuff. The harassment really kicked in. Oh, that's a big no-no. So something about this article that kind of sticks out to me, and again, I mean, it's hilarious because, yeah, I'm kind of an asshole. Fucking deal with it. This, This woman on Twitter says, The ultimate goal seems to be to bully us off the internet. Hey, Tara. Welcome to the internet in 2017. Welcome to the internet Period. in 2000. Yeah. In 2007. In 2017. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, welcome to the internet for as long as it's been around. That you're just not picking up on this. I mean, I'll forgive you because I do have some sympathy for these women who have Stockholm Syndrome because this is what I view it as. They have Stockholm mm. Syndrome. They're identifying with their abusers. Yeah. And she says, she's saying this. She says, women of all ages who do or don't have children are harassed for various reasons. The ultimate goal seems to be to bully us off the internet. No shit, yep. dude. That's uh, pretty basic. Um, yeah. Yes, it's true. Because that- they hate you. <laughs> they because they you always can't win. have hated you. That's a, that's a very... That's a very well-known power and control tactic is to put you in a situation where you literally can't win no matter what you do, whether you have children, whether you don't. If you have children, you're a bad mother for some reason or the other. You had them too young. You had them too old. You're just a terrible person. You you don't have the right partner. You have you have a partner, you should be single, whatever it is. If you don't have children, why don't you have children? Yes, it's it's not just about having children, but it's about things like wearing makeup, right? You're yeah. supposed to, you're supposed to look like you're not wearing makeup, but you're actually supposed to wear it. But you're supposed to convince everybody that you're not actually wearing it. So you can't wear too much, but you actually have to wear some. So it's like they create these no win situations for us. And it's like, 
okay, you know, some people would say, well, fuck this. I'm just going to opt out. I don't care what these people think of me. But it's hard to recognize that sometimes. Yeah, you when can people box do that you in, your corner like in that. some industries, but in a lot of them you can. They've done studies on competency in makeup. Mm. You're viewed as being more competent if you're wearing a certain degree of makeup. And again, it's extremely disproportionate. And every time this is discussed among women who know what they're talking about and non-men who know what they're talking about, someone has to pipe up, well, what about, with your what aboutism, I'm going to fucking full stop that shit, like quit with the what aboutism. If you're a man listening to this and your instinct is to what about me, stop and listen. Preach. Because one of the things people will be like, well, what about the free stuff women get? Like, women get free drinks all the time. There is no such thing as a free drink. Let me make that perfectly fucking clear mm-hmm. for you. A free drink is not free. Someone, bu- A man buying you a drink is trying to buy your time, which, A, is worth more than any than amount drink. of money, yeah. worth more than that drink. B... He's doing it because he's finding you aesthetically pleasing. Your market value for aesthetically pleasing is much higher than that drink. You could be marketing your aesthetic pleasingness in various other ways where you could be making much more money. Mm -hmm. There's all types of work you could be doing. You could be on YouTube and everybody could be looking at you. Yes. Instead of just making that $10 drink or whatever. Yeah, if it's a $10 drink. Oh, $2 drink. $2 to $10 drink. You know, sometimes they're trying to buy sex with that drink. Well, and then, yeah, you get into like, see the assumptions behind that kind of drink. Not only are they buying your time and they're, you know, anyone who's buying someone a drink because they find them attractive. Clearly, that person is worth more. You know, there, there's some value there that is not compensated by that kind of drink. If we just want to break this down in like boring economic terms, Guys, like, I don't know that this has really been like deconstructed and hashed out for men, but this is the under, this is the implicit assumption in the drink buying game, mm-hmm. right? You know, yeah, it's, it's, and, and don't, don't try to like pretend like, oh, well, I'm just being nice to someone who I think is pretty. No, there are a lot of layers to this and don't think we don't know that. So when you buy, you know, us a drink or something, we understand all of this and, depending on our level of comfort with the situation, we're going to react to things differently. But yeah, you are a lot of times trying to buy someone's time, which is always more valuable than money. You are getting off on being able to spend time with them and looking at them Mm -hmm. and you're getting a degree of value from being around an aesthetically pleasing person to you. Um, you are building in all of these assumptions. You're saying, well, if I do this kind of thing, I don't have to be an interesting person. I can just try to intoxicate someone more so they'll find me more interesting. That's kind of creepy. Mm-hmm. That's kind of weird. Can we like admit the, the elephant in the room of like what buying a drink actually is for someone? Right. You know, if yeah. you can be an interesting person without intoxifying a person more yeah. <laughs> to make them find you interesting. Yeah, exactly. Basically, it's not worth it for a woman to let somebody buy her a drink 
if she's not already interested in talking to them without the drink. I mean, yeah, if it, and it depends on what your motivations are and stuff like that. I mean, you know, maybe the motivations are you're just trying to be nice or whatever, but that's rarely the case. And have I taken free, quote unquote, drinks from people? Sure, but mostly that's ended in my time being wasted. Mm-hmm. And I'm sorry, most of you cannot afford my hourly rate. Mm. Um, so we're going to be real about it. Um, so, uh, you know, and will I take free drinks in the future? Possibly, but I understand what the things are that are built in. It's never free. Just like Heinlein said, there's no such thing as a free lunch. There's no such thing as a free drink. That's right. So, so, uh, so kind of, I'm going to kind of go back into this article a little bit here. It's crazy. So reading this woman's tweets, I feel like I'm reading the tweets of a feminist here. What? <laughs> How dare she call herself the F word? That's, by the way, I found out the F word is one of the worst things you can call yourself. Oh, that's in right. Certain yes. political movements. It sure is. You find that out real quick. Real quick. Worse than being a sexual abuser. Or scam artists. Definitely. Even. Yeah. Scam artists are fine. Feminists are the worst. If you disappear millions of dollars in a land deal in Chile, you're going to be still allowed to exist and be invited to conferences and have people come to your conferences and all of these things. You know, if you rape women, if you abuse them and beat the shit out of them and cause them permanent fucking damage, you're going to be allowed to still have a career. But God fucking help you if you call yourself a feminist. Yeah, that's right. Or if you even espouse too many feminist ideas without disclaiming the label. They'll just assume you you have claimed it. I mean, these people in this article are literal Nazis. And I've been being called a feminazi much of my life. Mm-hmm. And I can't remember the last time feminists genocided millions of people. Can you, do you recall a point in time where feminists genocided, you know? No, they've, they have never done tens that. Tens of millions <laughs> of people and sent them to the gulags or sent them to camps. Do you remember a time in history where feminists had any of that no, kind of power? No, I'm pretty sure that was only Nazis. Yeah. And also, by the way, along Stalinists. those, along those, yeah, that's right. Along those same lines, if being called a Nazi actually drives people to become literal Nazis, if it drives them to Nazism, then why haven't all the feminists who have been called feminazis for years become Nazis? <laughs> the question of our day, right? Right. Yeah. Like, how you am I not a lot? Nazi now? Right. I don't feel like a Nazi. I mean... <laughs> I don't feel the urge to like genocide men. No, I mean, and that's very big of you. I mean, do I joke about all things it? Considered, but like, am I going to do it? Probably not. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> I would say I would not. <laughs> oh my yeah, God. Be, being called a Nazi does not drive you to Nazism. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Oh, and, and one of the people mentioned in this article is Lauren Southern. And this is what it says about her. Another self-described conservative woman also had a problem with her movement's underlying culture. In a video titled, Why I'm Not Married, Lauren Southern responded to the backlash she received for pushing traditional family values and trying to tear down feminism while not turning into a baby-making machine herself. That's a tough balance to strike, sweetheart. It is. I'm 
not trying to sell the idea that myself as a 22 year old needs to be married right now for the sake of traditionalism and not being a degenerate, Southern said in a YouTube video. What is also just completely shocking to me is the utter lack of understanding of nuance. Wow. Wow. The utter lack of understanding of nuance, you think? You just realized? Do you know what movement you're actually a part of? It's like she doesn't even know. You've like literally made a career on crazy, radical, extreme, conservative values. And now you're wondering why there's no nuance. They hate you for existing. They hated you before you They hate you like a less because you're a blonde white woman and you're young and beautiful and unmarried and sexually available, theoretically. But that's only because they want to put babies in you. Yeah, that's exactly right. You you are not babyfied yet, mm-hmm. so they want to put their babies into you so that they can turn you into their personal slave. Mm-hmm. They want to turn you into a baby-making machine sex slave. Oh, wow, does that sound super radical? It is, because that's what traditionalism wants to do to women. Mm-hmm. And if you don't believe me... Spend some time reading these people's blogs. Spend some time in their forums. I did. I did a deep dive into this. I'm not coming from this as some kind of like radical queer leftist who doesn't know what the fuck they're talking about. I took a lot of time trying to understand where these people were coming from. For a second, I converted to Christianity. My ex-husband was a fundamentalist Christian. I got a deep understanding of traditionalist culture on a very personal level and then also on a philosophical level because I took time to lurk in these forums and, you know, read these philosophies and really try to understand where they were coming from. And that is why I'm so outspoken against it. It's not because I didn't give it a chance. Mm-hmm. I mean, I wouldn't say I ever it's not conformed because you grew up to in traditional some- norms in certain ways. I mean, I almost fell into that trap, but like, because of who I am, I, I can never kind of conform to that. But I gave it a fair shake as far as trying to understand where this is coming from. And it relies on the subjugation of women. Hmm. Yeah. And the complete disregard of anyone who's not a woman or not a man. I mean, like, you know, if you are gender nonconforming or, you know, you're different form of sexuality than heterosexual, then you basically don't exist and they don't want you to exist. They like, I believe what they say when they tell me they want to throw me out of a helicopter and they want to throw me in a fucking oven. I, that's not joking. I know what they fucking mean. Yeah. No, it's not. So, sorry, Lauren Southern. If you keep hanging out with people who want to throw you in an oven, and then you Eventually all of a sudden realize, like, it. they want to throw you in an oven, maybe you should get the fuck out of there. Yeah. And guess what? I will be the first person to say, when Lauren Southern becomes a radical feminist, we will hang out. Like, if you want to <laughs> hang out before then, like, I will buy you a beer and talk about this stuff and deconstruct this shit with you because as bad as this is, like, as, as these, these women are finally realizing this, as bad as this shitty fucking terrible movement is, these women are becoming aware of it. And you know what? I'll extend an olive branch to them. I've known women who were extremely repressed and eventually got out of it. I myself had a lot of internalized misogyny. So I understand you know, somewhat of where they're coming from. And I don't want to demean and belittle other women for being confused. Because clearly, like, she's 22. I mean, yeah, when I was 22, I didn't have the best views on fucking gender norms either. No, me neither. So, you know, I'm not... I'm but I'm also glad... I'm also glad... Because they're gender it- traitors on some level. 
<laughs> to use such a terrible fucking term. No, it does really feel like they're kind of selling out like the rest of the women. Like they don't obviously do not give a fuck about like other women. And they think that they they're perfectly fine letting people think that they speak for all women or whatever. They're only doing this again because it's starting to affect their lives. You know, on some level, they're they're saying like, oh, well, this is bad because it affects me personally. Guess what? The thing you're advocating for affects all women and always has and has been the main force in keeping them oppressed throughout all of history. So stop it and make and have some fucking accountability for what you're doing and Mm -hmm. what you're proposing, because the end goal of what you're proposing is subjugation of women. It's you being barefoot and pregnant in the kitchen. And that's fine if some women want that. I'm I'm not going to get into personal preferences. If you want babies and you want all that, that's totally fine. This is not what we're talking about. It's erasing the choices of women who don't want that. Yeah, they would prefer a world where you do not even have the choice to not do that. And that is the difference. I prefer a world where all of these choices exist. If you want to take that choice, that is totally fine. And that's the difference between us and them is we want a world where that's possible. They want a world where only what they want is possible. Mm -hmm. And it turns out they don't even seem to really want that. I mean, Lauren Southern is... She's not married. She doesn't have kids. Right. Like, it doesn't seem like she wants them. Yeah. And who on, would with it. these fucking losers <laughs> in the alt-right? Jesus Christ. Talk about, Maybe she like, just hasn't met the right guy yet. <laughs> maybe she With just access hasn't, to all the guys in the alt-right Maybe she movement. just hasn't met the right girl yet. <laughs> <laughs> oh. And I think that's probably a good way. Yeah. That's a good (laughs) answer. Lauren Southern, hit me up. I'm just kidding. (laughs) She's not my type at all. Um, (laughs) I'm not, I'm not ready to be anyone's training wheels. So anyway, this this podcast has been a lot of fun. I think we covered, gosh, we covered so many serious issues. I, I'm, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna rip on traditionalism at the end as I do. I have to because I ain't about being repressed and oppressed and subjugated. Right. This is about freedom. Freedom. Right. Man. We want freedom Real for all people. Fucking not freedom. just freedom for men. Yeah. Yeah. And. I hope that everyone else is taking some time to do some self-care with all of this crazy Me Too stuff that's come out. It's extremely difficult to contend with, but maybe we're finally reaching a kind of critical mass. And the more people talk about this, the more awareness gets raised of it and the more practical solutions can come from it because it's not enough. It's not enough for people to know it's a problem. People have known it's a problem forever. What matters is what happens after. And what comes after can be any number of things. I'm expecting a bit of a backlash. I'm a bit worried that there's going to be a backlash from all of this. We'll kind of wait and see. But ultimately, I really hope that we're kind of reaching a pivot in all of this. A point of 
shifting from what we kind of assumed to be true that was not based in statistics or reality or any of that to like what is actually true and people are taking these things more seriously. I mean, how can you not when an alleged rapist is a president? I mean, that's kind of what I've been wondering for a long time. But now we have all these allegations and about fucking time. As as terrifying and horrible as it is to read all about this, and yeah, I mean, at I, least at least it's being talked about. That's the first step. So thanks to everybody who's sharing their stories. Like you said, MK, it can be difficult to read, but I hope at the end of the day we're going to make some progress because of it. Hopefully, and we'll see where it ends. But maybe this is the beginning. So Stephanie, thanks so much for joining me again. I know this is difficult to talk about. It's one of the most difficult subjects to talk about. And thanks for joining me. And where can people find the stuff that you're creating? Well, you did an awesome job talking about it. Thanks for having me on. I'm honored that you wanted to have this conversation with me. And I I enjoyed it. I thought I mean, it was heavy at times. But you know, I thought it was good to, to do this. So thanks a lot. And People can find me at uh, sexandsciencehour.com. If you like this podcast, you'll probably like my podcast too. It's uh, sexandsciencehour.com. And MK was on it. Yes, I, I was on a it. A couple of times. Uh, I've, been, I've been on it a couple of times, and it's it's always solid material and just really, really good topics. So thanks so much for joining me, and you can – Find me on Patreon, of course. I thank you for all of the patrons who've made this episode possible. I know a lot of my stuff is kind of lighthearted, and sometimes I do some heavy shit like this. So thanks for sticking around for whatever kind of random stuff I decide to talk about. So uh, you can also email me interesting stuff that you want me to talk about at iconassass at gmail.com. And you can find me on SoundCloud too. You can also find some of my other writings on Medium. And yeah, I guess I will see you next time. feel the need to apologize much and I'm not going to